you're ready to stop submitting basic applications and winging your interview for your next nursing role, whether you're a graduate nurse or a seasoned healthcare professional, we'd love to exclusively invite you to our secret nurse growth hub, where you can get all of the support to apply, interview and land your next nursing role completely free. All of the resources that we've shared and created over the last three years that have helped 3,000 plus nurses internationally apply, interview and land their next nursing role. So what are you waiting for? Come and join us today. It's completely free. LiamCaswell.com forward slash NGH. Come and join the Nurse Growth Hub today and let's make applying, interviewing and landing your next nursing role easy. Welcome to the High Performance Nursing Podcast, where we seek to coach, educate and inspire nurses globally to achieve their high performance potential. Learn from influential clinicians having curious conversations to help you navigate your unique high performance nursing career path. Join me, your host Liam Caswell, nursepreneur, coach and mentor, as we explore how you can create a balanced high performance nursing career. Let's do this. Hello and welcome guys, welcome to this episode. It has been a hot while, thank you so much for your patience. I have had a lot of life changes recently, which have been great, and I have had a bit of time off in basically relocating my life from Canberra to Sydney here in Australia, and I'm settling in. So apologies for the lack of content, but I am confident that we're back on track and that there's lots of uh, great stuff coming your way. So today I wanted to do a a brief solo episode. I'm sure this episode today will speak to a lot of you that are currently looking for roles in healthcare, and you are like, where do I start? Because I feel you, because I have just moved, and I am feeling the pressure of trying to find a new job. And I thought that I would talk about it, because we all go through it, And maybe you can relate and maybe there will be some things here today that you are going to take away from this and implement into your own job search and hopefully land yourself a role. So for those of you that don't know me very well or new to the podcast, welcome. We have had over 1,700 downloads globally, over 15, 16 countries. I lose track. I'm just blown away by the High Performance Nursing Community's commitment to listening to these podcasts. So thank you, thank you, thank you. It is so exciting and I'm glad to be back. So a little bit about me in terms of where I am at this point in my career, just to give some context, is that I've been nursing for 10 years. I have worked in medical ICU, did a bit of agency for a few years, clinical facilitation, working in the universities. I've been a nurse manager, I've been a nurse educator, and across lots of different disciplines. And I'm at a point now where I have tried a lot of different things and sampled a lot of different working environments and shift patterns and different health districts across the UK, Fiji and Australia. And I'm now really at this point where I just want to find something that I can really sink my teeth into and and really explore something that I'm passionate about. Now, for you, those of you that listen to the podcast, you know that I love talking about culture, workplace culture. Uh, I love talking about 
workforce development and I'd absolutely thrive in that kind of high-performing team, um, high-performance leadership environment whereby we can really set the tone for the workforce to ensure that we're delivering that high-quality patient care. So, I mean, I'm not asking for much, am I? Lol. Um, I am putting the pressure on myself. And today's a little bit about that. So I am looking for a role where I can kind of bring all of my experiences to date and put them into a nice little box and bundle them up and, and offer them to an employer. And in doing that, I have come across a few things that are stopping me because good old Liam, you know, despite what you might think listening to this podcast, has got a fair few self-limiting beliefs that hold me back, that creep up when I'm trying to put myself out there and do something like a podcast. So hence why it took me two years to jump on a microphone and record this stuff. But I'm so glad I did. And I guess that's a lesson is that we we do hold ourselves back and we stop ourselves from doing what we naturally love to do because of the story inside our head. And that's where I'm at at the moment. So I'm looking for this role that encompasses all of these great traits for me so that I'm able to stand up in front of a room and communicate a message to people, influence change. I'm really looking for a role that's less clinically focused because I feel like now I've developed this passion and skill set for more of an operational manager position whereby I can really influence positive change. And trying to find that is quite challenging. So I thought I would share that today. So in exploring that, it's been interesting because there have been lots of roles that have come up that I would never have really considered that I would be suitable for. And again, I think this is a lesson for a lot of people maybe listening today and, and certainly people that I work with in my Research Your CV kind of coaching program where I work one-on-one with nurses is that a lot of the time people come to me and they say, do you think I'm suitable for this role? And of course, as a coach to other people, I say, of course you're suitable. Like, let's really market and brand yourself so that you can put yourself forward in the best way possible, drawing upon your skills, knowledge and experience. But when it comes to me and managing myself, I go into this place of exactly like my clients do, where I sit here and I go, I'm not good enough. I can't do this. Who do I think I am? And I have been working on that for years now, and I'm not actually sure when I started doing that or having that internal self-talk. Part of me is really glad that I have that internal self-talk because I feel like it gives me a bit of insight and it keeps me grounded. But at the same time, the flip side of that, if, if you don't manage it, it kind of becomes all-encompassing and it really takes over your mindset and puts you into a space where, you know, if you didn't really push yourself or have someone, or for me, have someone saying, calling out my crap, then I wouldn't take these, I wouldn't take these next opportunities. And I reflect back on a time when I was in a really complex, maybe challenging, maybe bad, let's just call it what it is, a really bad space and situation within my career that I was really unhappy. I put on a lot of weight. I actually put on like 10 kilos. It was ridiculous. Do not indulge in eating. But I did. And I was not exercising. I felt really, really low. And in that situation, I looked at a job. I actually looked at the my role where I was teaching advanced life support. And I I was an advanced life support trainer and I was working in intensive care. And I looked at that role and I went, I'm not, I can't do this. 
I'm not good enough for this. And my amazing partner at the time said to me, ridiculous, apply now. And I applied and I got the job. And, you know, it's just, a, I guess, a moment whereby I needed that little push because I was in such a dark space, I guess. I needed that encouragement to move forward and to to be vulnerable and get comfortable being uncomfortable in a new environment. And I was so worried because it was going from clinical to a desk space and an and office-based role. And I thought, oh my God, I'm going to be bored because I didn't know anything different other than chaos, <laughs> chaos, you know, organized chaos within ICU or within acute medicine. So I I took that opportunity and it was a learning from me reflecting back to in these moments of doubt and self-doubt, I, I look at it and I go, well, actually, what do I have to lose? And you might be going through something like that. So try and find that individual in your life that is that person who's going to give you the push and not take your crap. And my partner's pretty good at that after eight years of um, training. So find that individual and and take that step forward. Because like I say, you don't know what's going to happen. It is out with your control. And just by expressing interest, you never know what might happen. And there have been so many times where I talk to people or in my own experiences I've just expressed interest and from that, awesome opportunities have arisen. I, I guess that's just about networking and building relationships with people like we do with our patients, but you need to do it with employers, recruiters, so that you have more opportunities. So in moving up here to Sydney, that's exactly what I did. I have reached out to a few recruiters and I have also you know, just circulated my CV sending it out to potential employers, looking for areas in the industry that I am really passionate about, drawing upon my current networks to explore how I might get into an area that I would like to to work in and giving myself lots of opportunities so that by the time that I am offered a role or I'm in a situation where a role is being uh, recruited to, that I am, I'm ready and I'm there and I'm already kind of on the forefront or the forefoot of that process. But of course, that has come with its challenges. And I wanted to spend a bit of time today talking about that because this is what I go through in coaching with people. And I wanted to talk about a few things that might come up with for you. And this doesn't necessarily just apply to someone that is looking to go from clinical to non-clinical. This will apply to anybody, maybe some a graduate joining the workforce coming from a background of working in retail to joining the nursing workforce. It really will apply to everybody. And I want to call a few of the things out because they they kind of take over my mindset and they, they really do impact me and I'm consciously aware of them. But some of you might not be aware of these things that creep up. And it's good to be able to recognize them so that you can move through them and that you don't stop yourself from great opportunities. I want to talk first about imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. Imposter syndrome is, as my coach would say, an indiscriminate beast. It is this environment in whereby I create this story in my head about not feeling good enough not being good enough, not being able to do the job, despite me not even being in the job and not knowing what the job's about. Almost suddenly, it just kind of comes across you and it encompasses all of your thinking and it kind of removes rationality. So you can't really 
you know, think rationally about what it is you're telling yourself. But I go to this place where, for example, over the last few weeks, there have been some senior nursing roles and I look at them and immediately when I read the job title, I go, no, I can't do that. I'm, I'm not qualified enough. I haven't done enough. I need to do more. And then I stop and I look at the job description, trying to be impartial, but that little beast is sitting on my shoulder. It's kind of like, you know, a good guy, bad guy. And I can kind of feel the, the argument in my head between the two. And I'm trying to be in the middle and be neutral and impartial and balanced. But that is challenging. And I'm sitting there looking at these jobs and I'm looking through the job description and I get down to selection criteria and I'm dreading reading it because I'm thinking, oh no, they're going to burst my bubble. They're going to ask for 500 years of experience (laughs) in leadership. And I look at these jobs and I look at the selection criteria and I go, oh, I've got, I meet the requirements. And, And you might go through the same situation. And, you know, that imposter syndrome is still there at that point. But then I'm like being a bit more rational. I'm saying, okay, so this sounds like something that I could do because it looks like I'm already doing it. And that's a really good place to be. But I guess for me, it's about balancing the imposter syndrome and being aware of, acutely aware of when it comes in. And I see this, just translating this into my practice, I see this as a manager. I see this as an educator. I see this as a student facilitator. I come across people throughout all facets or walks of, of nursing practice, even medicine, pharmacy, you know, our peers, where we talk to someone and they say, oh, I can't do that. I'm not confident enough to do that. And, and I always challenge it and, and try and call it out respectfully and just ask them, well, why can't you do it? That simple question of, well, what's stopping you? And again, can you hear the challenge here for me is because I'm so good at giving people advice, not even advice, but I'm so good at coaching people and trying to get the best out of them so they see their full potential. (laughs) But I struggle to do it for myself. Work in progress, yeah. So imposter syndrome is a real thing and I don't think enough people talk about it. And in my experience, we are all going through it. I don't want to say suffering, but we are all going through imposter syndrome. The most confident person that you work with, I can guarantee, will experience imposter syndrome. We all just process it in such different ways. And for me, this is one way where it really, really amps up and shows up for me is that when I'm looking for a new job, I go, oh my God, what if the experience that I have so far isn't good enough? Or maybe I didn't do enough in that job. Can you hear my perfectionism as well? (laughs) Oh, don't you love it? We're all a work in progress. It's a journey, not a destination. But imposter syndrome, think about it and see if it's it's coming up for you. There's lots of things that you can do to work through that. But first and foremost, learn from my, you know, self-limiting beliefs. You've got everything you need to do it. Just do it. And that's what I've been doing. I've just been applying for these jobs. And the results have been interesting. You know, I've, I've had really awesome conversations with people about my experience and what I've done. And, you know, that imposter syndrome beast kind of gets kicked to the curb because immediately I'm getting really good feedback about whether or not they think I would be suitable for the role and to apply. So the other thing that's been creeping up for me is about how do I translate my clinical experience into a non-clinical role. This is something that has plagued me for years, 
more so when I've been moving into those education and leadership roles. Now, I say plagued, it's just because the terminology when you get into these roles kind of revolves around things like project management and working with stakeholders and all these fancy terms that as a clinician on the front line, we might think about these things, but we don't necessarily see a patient as a project. Or as a manager, I didn't see the ward as a project. I wasn't managing a project. I was managing a team of people and diverse backgrounds and patients and complex issues and budgets and rosters and quality and safety and trying to balance it all together. So every time this question comes up for me or the selection criteria about project management, again, imposter syndrome comes in because I go, I don't have that experience. And then in talking to my partner and some of my peers, you know, we, we came to realize that, of course, we manage projects. We do manage projects. We just don't call it that. However, the challenge for me is about then using the language that people expect from you in an interview setting to then convey that you do know what you're doing in terms of managing a complex project. Now, no matter kind of how I feel like I spin it um, and, and, and talk about running a ward and managing a budget and all of the complexities that come with that, it's still really challenging for me to take off my clinician hat and then put on my non-clinical hat and talk the talk. I know that my experience is is you know, is is valuable and it's going to translate beautifully into that environment. Just the language might be a little bit different. So I had an interview recently where that was one of the questions and I I was honest and I just said I haven't ever thought of the things that I do as a project because I'm dealing with people Um, and as a leader I want to make sure that there's that personal touch and it's authentic and it's not just you know a cycle a process that might be the case and you know I am very strategic in my approach but it's not okay this is phase one of the project guys and today we're going to discharge 10 people it just doesn't work but in reality, it's what we're doing. So I talked about that in the interview and I talked about how I believe that in running a ward and managing all of these responsibilities and tasks and challenges, I have developed excellent project management skills. And I guess the beauty of my experience is that I have actually worked in environments whereby we do follow quite a strict process around goals and KPIs, which has been awesome at the time. I thought, oh my goodness, this is a lot of work. But now looking back, it's been awesome experience for me. And that's allowed me to translate that into a non-clinical role. So when you're thinking about your own experience, if you're going for something a bit more non-clinical, or if you're coming from retail and coming into clinical, think about what you have gained in a non-clinical role that you can bring into clinical. I was coaching someone earlier this week and we talked about this and I said, you've worked in an environment where you've delivered exceptional customer service. That is a great trait for a nurse. Yeah, what we do every day is customer service and we're there to to help our patients and, and, and help them get better. And we can only really do that through really awesome customer service and patient centered care. So that's one of your transferable skills. So I challenge you to think about what you have and where you're coming from and how you can translate that. The other two that I'm going to talk about firstly is ego. So I, in coming from Canberra, Canberra pays pretty well. 
And coming back to New South Wales, the pay is a little bit lower because we have a denser population of nurses and Canberra's really cold, so maybe people don't want to live there. But I loved Canberra and it is a beautiful place. But the the reality is, is that in, in coming back to Sydney, I've gone, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to take a pay cut for a job at the same level. And then my ego has come in a little bit and gone, well, Liam, do you know, that's a bit of a step back. How are you going to pay your bills? And, you know, almost that sense of entitlement has come back and gone, well, you know, I was on this. Now I'm going to be on that. Like, are you kidding? And again, I'm having to manage that. And it might sound a little bit, you know, I don't know, self-centered and egotistical. And that's why I'm talking about it, because I, I think we all go through this is where I've gone, well, uh, my ego's a bit hurt by that. And I'm not sure how I feel about taking, you know, a 10 grand pay cut. And I'm also not sure about how that's going to look on my resume or how I'm going to feel about it personally, because it's going to, you know, I feel like I haven't moved forward despite coming to maybe a more innovative and creative workplace. So that's something that I'm dealing with at the moment is around remuneration and how that impacts my ego and what I tell myself, because of course it's not a reflection of stalling in my career. It's not a reflection of me taking a step back. It's just what I tell myself. And that is a work in progress. You'll be glad to hear. But that does lead into this idea of like self-worth and am I worthy of the more higher paying roles that I'm looking at? And I'm looking at these roles, like I said earlier, and I'm going, oh my goodness, I don't know if I can do this. It is a role that's paying a lot of money so money equals responsibility and oh that's gonna be a lot of stress and potentially a lot of challenge and maybe some really difficult conversations uh difficult processes like I've been there done that got the t-shirt and uh as much as I love those roles because I'm able to really influence positive change you know I I look at them and I go well how am I going to feel in those roles what what is it going to feel like day to day for me to do this job and have that much pressure or stress? Uh, is that something that I want? And and the, the ego and the self-worth kind of come hand in hand because egotistically I go, well, oh, it's a high paying job and it looks like a great opportunity to influence change and to lead a, a workforce. But then I go, oh, but I'm a worthy of this. And I think we all have these conversations in our heads, maybe to varying degrees, but I wanted to talk about them because they come up for me every time I apply and I actually forgot how much they come up for me and you may be going through this right now. So being a bit vulnerable today and sharing all of this, but I think it's important and for me it's about being honest and and talking about the things that are hard Uh, because I feel like we naturally shy away from them in health, because as everybody says every day, which is like a swear word to me, oh my goodness, we're so busy. And I know that we're busy. We are so, so busy. I get it. I do like to think that we're being productive, because we're getting so much done as nurses. But it's, for me, it's about how do we work through those self-limiting beliefs to make sure that we are aware of them, first and foremost, that we can work through them and put strategies in place and then also recognize them and call them out in yourself but also in others and I think we have a duty of care to our colleagues and to ourselves, and that's a big thing that I'm learning to myself 
to allow myself to just explore these opportunities, be open to whatever the universe is putting in front of me, and not allowing my internal self-talk to to drive my decision-making. Because a lot of the time, I'm just going to go to that negative, <laughs> negative Nancy, Debbie Diner, I can't do this. When I look back over my career, or I have a moment, a discussion with a peer or a friend or my partner, my parents, and they say, but look at what you've achieved. So I'm conscious that it might sound like I need a lot of validation, but I think that reassurance and validation can be healthy. At some points, it can be very unhealthy if you're constantly seeking it. I guess for me, I get very caught up in my head and then I want to make a decision based on being stuck up there, the ego, the imposter syndrome and the low self-worth all creeping in and driving whatever I'm going to say, do and potentially take as a role. So my point there is that we want to make sure that we're aware of what we're saying to ourselves and we take the opportunity to sit back, take some time, consider our opportunities and work through it. What I've noticed in this experience for me is that I've been trying to really focusing on what it is I actually want. What do I want? Do I want to work shifts? Do I not want to work shifts? Do I want to work after hours? Do I not want to work after hours? Do you know, go down to this detail when you're applying for a job. Now, if you're a grad, you might say, well, Liam, I don't really have that luxury. I disagree. If you really want to work in a GP clinic, make it happen. We can find ways in so that you can approach GPs and explore what it is that you need to do to get into that industry or that area of health. For me, I have been really trying to work out what it is I want, how I'm going to do it, how my skills translate, and how I can use my network to find and source these opportunities. So some of the biggest challenges that people face when they're looking for new jobs is that they think they just have to wait for a job to come up on Seek or any kind of job platform. And that's not true. There are so many opportunities or avenues for you to explore different roles. People are often really surprised when I say to them, so you worked in this environment as a student nurse and you loved it. You keep telling me how much you love it. Did you get the NUMS number or the NUMS email address or the educator's email address? Oh, no, I didn't. Why? Well, there's an opportunity there for you to send your CV in, tweak it to meet the criteria of that workplace and talk about your experiences there and how much you loved it and send them an email with your CV. They may not have an opportunity, but they, by expressing interest in two months, they might have something that comes up and it might align perfectly with your timeline. So reaching out and I'm really thinking about how you can maybe get in the back door rather than the front door is a great way for you to to get into your kind of dream or ideal workplace. The other thing that I've been doing a lot of over the last couple of weeks, which honestly I've always been really worried and nervous about doing up until recently, is calling the workplace and calling the hiring manager and being prepared and asking them about the role. Recently, I've you know, called a couple of different places and I've just said, hi, my name is Liam. I'm really interested in this role. I've just recently relocated and I would love to tell you a bit more about myself. Can you tell me more about the role that you're hiring for? And they tell you, uh, it's really good because it gives you a lot of insight into the role. 
gives you more information than the position description does, gives you a vibe and a feel for the manager and, and what kind of culture or workplace you might be going into. It also gives you an indication of what they're looking for specifically, and you might get some little tips and tricks from them about applying. They're not going to, you know, be biased and, and say, well, you need to do this and do that, but they might and I indirectly give you some information that will influence how you then write your CV, your selection criteria. Now, I've called a couple of places and I've done this and I've had a chat. It's been awesome. And I've very confidently come off the phone and gone, yep, I think that's somewhere that I'd like to work. Because I'm really focused on now less more, less of just getting a job, which has kind of been my process up until this point. And I'm now very, very focused on culture and is this going to be a a nice workplace where people respect each other and I think that that's not a lot to ask to be honest so I I'm really focused on that when I have these discussions and I ask questions I ask questions how would you describe the culture what is your leadership style what are the key challenges that I might face in this role what are the 30 60 90 day goals for this position And if you're a nurse working on the floor, some of these questions might not be overly relevant, but you can change them up and you can say things like, I noticed that you're in acute medical ward. What are your key quality and safety goals for the next six months? How can I contribute to improving the quality and service of care here? And if you've got a manager on the other end of the phone or an educator or whoever is recruiting that gives you really great answers and knows the response to these questions, and it fits kind of your values, your professional boundaries, what you're looking for in a role. Awesome, apply. But if you're not getting what you need to hear, maybe take that as a sign. Yeah, that they're maybe not in that place. Maybe it's not somewhere that you want to work. And that's okay. There's no commitment when you make a phone call. You're purely just inquiring about the role. And it also saves you immense amounts of time. Doing a CV selection criteria and cover letter can take up to a day, if not longer. It really does take a lot of time if you're going to tweak it specifically to the job. So that's something to think about is giving people a call. And I've had really awesome conversations with people and they then validate whether or not they they think that you're going to be a good candidate. And engage the response that you get when you then sell yourself. It's almost like that elevator pitch. Hi, my name is Liam and I've got 10 years of nursing experience across the UK. You know, I say it in the podcast. And that is what my pitch is. You need to have a script whereby you can sell yourself to people and get them interested from the get-go. Do not call someone without thinking about some questions. You don't just want to call them, listen and go, oh, thank you so much. Use that as an opportunity to to get more information about the role so that you can make an informed choice. The other tool that I want you to think about if you're searching for roles that I've been using is LinkedIn. So LinkedIn, get on LinkedIn if you don't have a profile. There's so much amazing stuff happening on there in terms of networking with nurses. I've met so many amazing people and I've been approached for lots of different roles through LinkedIn via recruiters. So it's a great way to highlight that you're open to work. You can put a little tag on your profile. So when people search for or recruiters search for potential employees, they then come across your profile and they send you a message and it could be your dream job. So LinkedIn is a great platform. Work through your self-limiting beliefs. That is something that I do with a coach and I also do it with a psychologist because I love to understand the psychology of my thinking and it is very much a work in progress and I think that nursing is such a highly complex job 
that we do need a platform and avenue to unpack some of the stuff that we see um, with our patients, but also what we see maybe with within the workforce and within the culture and how that might impact your own self-talk, self-worth, ego, and feed into your imposter syndrome. So I love to unpack that with people and I do that with my clients as well. The other thing is we've talked about is get clear on your boundaries, on your role boundaries and what you really, really want. Okay, don't don't settle for second best. If you think that the job isn't going to be a right fit for you or the package isn't good or the pay isn't meeting what you need to pay your bills and live the life that you want to live and have that work life balance. Be honest with yourself and, and just don't go for it. I've, I've applied for a few roles here that have then been offered interviews and the role sounds amazing. The people sound great, but I'm just not going to get the, the the level of pay that I need to survive and pay for my house and, and live the life that I like to live. So I think that's an important thing to consider. And finally, I guess it's about making sure that your CV really is tweaked to each role that you're applying for. Something I've noticed is even looking at my CV, I noticed some gaps in it, which is hilarious because I'm a CV coach, but uh, I noticed that I was missing a few things from there. There's a few things that were inconsistent. And then I had used this kind of professional summary at the top of my CV for a while and I hadn't really changed it. And I read it a couple of times and I went, this doesn't really sell who I am. It's quite generic. And it wasn't really speaking to the role. And my partner is uber critical in a good sense. He did a PhD, so he's very methodical and analytical. And he'll say, oh, do you know, where are the words from the position description? You're not really, I don't really know what you're applying for. And that level of critique at the time is bloody frustrating, I'm going to say. I'm not happy about it. But it is good. It's good so that I can then come back and go, okay, an impartial set of eyes that haven't seen the job description have no idea what job I'm applying for. Uh, So that's something to think about. Thanks for listening today, guys. I hope that's been beneficial. I feel like uh, I needed to share some of the learnings that I've been going through recently. I'm sure there will be more to come, but I hope that's helped you on your path to securing your next role. If you are looking for CV coaching or interview coaching or just working through some self-limiting beliefs, I would love to help you out. I have worked with over 70 nurses to date since about August last year, helping them land the new roles, find what really motivates them and drives them, and really develop an awareness of what they want in their career and taking a strategic approach. So I am here to help and support you. I could not have done this process in Sydney alone without my partner and some of my peers. So I highly, highly encourage you to drop me a message, have a chat, and we can see if we're a good fit to work together. Thank you so much for listening to the High Performance Nursing Podcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. I would love you to join my online community of high-performance nurses. Join us on Facebook at Liam Caswell or check out my website at liamcaswell.com. Until next time, I have been your host, Liam Caswell, and I am truly grateful for the opportunity to help you build your high-performance nursing career. Be kind to yourself and stay forever curious.